0: The scripture this morning is Mark five, twenty-one through 43. Before we read the word of God, let's pray that he will give us wisdom to hear his word. Father, would you quiet the distractions in our minds and in our midst and help us to hear your word. Open our hearts to what you want us to learn this morning, and we ask that it would be with Andrew as he preaches. We love you, Lord. Amen. This is the word of God from the book of Mark. Chapter 5, starting in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name. And seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. It was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Um, I'm Andrew Sharp. Occasionally I have the great privilege of preaching. Um, And this morning, Pastor Matt asked me to preach on Mark chapter five. And I think in the range of preaching assignments, you might have genealogies on one end of the spectrum, and on the other end, it would be Mark 5, because so much happens in that book. First, before the events that uh, are covered in our text, we have Jesus in the Roman city of Gerasenes, driving demons out of a man, chained up in the tombs so he couldn't hurt himself or others jesus sends the demons into a large herd of pigs two thousand were told that that is a lot of pigs by the way i i don't think i've ever seen 20 pigs in one place but two thousand and they then race down a hill into the sea of galilee and drown themselves townspeople either upset about the property loss or frightened by jesus authority over demons or both ask him to please leave it is a wild story it is not what we're focusing on this morning but i just you know typical day for jesus i want to give you the full scope next we encounter jesus arriving by boat on the opposite shore to a waiting crowd jairus a ruler of the synagogue approaches Jesus. He is presumably a lay leader of the synagogue. He'd be responsible for uh, upkeep of the building and the worship service. And he was someone who was of considerable social standing, yet he falls at Jesus' feet, which is a remarkable thing for him to have done to an itinerant preacher. And he pleads, earnestly we're told, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. These events appear in two other gospels. In Luke's gospel, Jesus had previously healed the servant of a centurion who did not consider himself worthy to enter to have Jesus enter his home. The centurion believed correctly that Jesus's healing power did not require personal contact but could be done at a distance. Jairus's faith in Jesus does not appear to go that far. But Jesus doesn't rebuke or correct Jairus. He just simply goes with him. On the way, Jesus is mobbed by a crowd, and in that crowd, there is a woman who, uh, as some translations say, had an issue of blood for 12 years. The inference is that she had a never-ending menstrual cycle, and that would have been physically devastating and especially socially devastating. In that culture, she was considered ritually unclean. Anybody she touched would themselves be rendered ritually unclean. And that required the person who had been touched to go through an elaborate uh, cleansing ritual so that they could re enter society. She would not have been touched, even by her own family. She couldn't worship in the synagogue. If she had been married at some point, she would probably have been divorced because her condition meant that she couldn't bear children. She definitely should not have been out in a crowd of people. Mark tells us that she suffered under many doctors. Interestingly, Luke, a physician, in his gospel, leaves that detail out. Didn't want to bash his own profession. Understandable. The Jewish cures for this kind of condition, according to the Talmud, were, one, carrying the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen rag around one's neck in summer and in a cotton rag in winter. Or, two, Carrying barley corn from the dung of a white female donkey. I'm not sure how long you'd have to carry that. Hopefully not long. In other words, medical science did not have the answers to this woman's condition. Many of you may be familiar with what happened next because it is so cinematic. Every um, filmed narrative of Jesus includes this the woman, unnamed, pushes through the crowd, believing that if she merely touched Jesus's garment, she would be made well. Now, it's always interesting who's named and who is unnamed in the Bible. Jairus, man, social status, we get his name, but we don't get this woman's name. Although, um, in one commentary I said there was a I read there was a christian tradition that did assign her a name just curious does anyone know what that oh yes bingo well done it stumped the first service and there's some smart people in that service yes she might have been veronica or at least they had to give her a name because this was such a powerful story she touches his jesus's garment And in that moment, she feels herself healed. At the same time, Jesus feels that power has gone out of him. Nowhere else in scripture do we hear about that kind of uh, power transfer from Jesus. Nor is there any other example of Jesus seemingly unknowingly healing someone. Feeling whatever he felt, Jesus stops abruptly and asks who touched him. I think in his supreme wisdom he would have known. But he nevertheless asks the question. His disciples are incredulous. Jesus has been mobbed by people, you know, any number of people, yet he's asking about one particular person who touched him. The woman then approaches as Jesus, throws herself on the ground in front of him and tells him everything. Let's pause there for a second. Why did Jesus call her out of the crowd? I mean, couldn't he have let her just sort of slip away and quietly enjoy her new healed self? Wouldn't making it all public have been kind of humiliating for her? If she had returned to her home and her family and told them that she was now healed, who would believe her? Her condition was an unseen one. No doubt people would have been very skeptical, if not downright unbelieving. Jesus knew that just the physical healing was not true restoration. Her social suffering would continue even if her body was healed. So she confesses everything to Jesus. She must have been terrified, she had broken Jewish law on multiple levels. She'd been in a crowd, she touched a rabbi while she's in an unclean state. She might have expected Jesus to rebuke her or scold her for stealing a healing. But of course, Jesus does not do that. He tells her, Daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. And that too is remarkable. Jesus didn't go around calling people daughter, but here it's as if he's telling her in the crowd that she is part of his family, part of the social fabric. And he doesn't say, "You're you're touching me healed you. Rather her faith has healed her, her desperate, reckless faith almost imagine I mean I always try to put myself like in the crowd like you know how would I've reacted Um, you know and if I bumped into Jesus and saw this happen I would think all right my back's been killing me for years I bumped into Jesus nothing (laughs) or maybe one of the disciples later you know kind of casually intentionally by accident touched him to see if they felt that power transfer. I don't know. Um, Faith is what heals here. It's not a formula. I think that's important to remember when we find ourselves praying individually or as a congregation for a person's healing. I think sometimes it can be tempting to think that, it, that we have to pray a certain way or for a certain length of time or use certain words and then maybe we'll sort of crack the code and God will respond as we want him to. I, I think that reflects, if anything, a very limited notion of God's great love. I mean, I can't conceive of getting to heaven and asking God you know why why didn't you heal this person I I prayed for three months and having God said well I was looking for five you're so close that that's not a loving God the woman's healing is so unique and remarkable that we almost forget that Jesus had been accompanying Jairus to Jairus's house to heal his daughter i mean Jairus clearly felt the urgency to get Jesus there you could imagine his impatience and his frustration maybe because the woman was of low social standing and she's not dying Jairus's daughter is on the verge of death Jairus is probably thinking can we not circle back to her later and just take care of my daughter please and then we found out that even as Jesus is speaking to the woman that Jairus's daughter has died And it must have stung a little bit for Jairus to hear Jesus refer to the woman as daughter when he's just lost his actual daughter. The people from Jairus' house conveying this news tell him gently, I hope, don't trouble the teacher any longer. as I was reading through this text I was struck by the title teacher because I I think there are folks who are much more comfortable with that idea of Jesus I mean I don't know about you but I along the way I've heard people say various versions of you know I accept Jesus as a great moral teacher that we all have a lot to learn from him. But the miracle stuff, the divinity, uh, not on board with that. We can't pick and choose our Jesus. We have to take the whole package. And if Jesus is who we said he was, we have to contend with that. Jesus tells Jairus, don't fear, only believe. And I I think we should pause over that verse because it's so instructive to us. Fear can uncomfortably trouble our faith. Fear causes us to try to solve problems apart from God. And that's not to say we can't find solutions to problems on our own. God certainly opens our eyes to possibilities about what we might do in a a given situation. But fear draws us away from God rather than towards him. But it is hard to believe. It feels passive, right? And passivity feels like weakness. We don't like waiting. Waiting feels passive. And then God whispers to us, be still and know that I am God. And it's so hard to be still, isn't it? I always think of the, the man who spoke to Jesus saying, I believe, help my unbelief. Boy, don't those two coexist so frequently. Belief and unbelief. If I was in Jesus's shoes, which thank goodness I wasn't, I might've been tempted to give Jairus a mini lecture at this point. (laughs) Tell him he should have learned something from the sick, sick woman's faith. Um, you obviously approached me for a reason let me do my thing but he doesn't of course only believe that's what he says and of course Jesus knew how hard that was for Jairus in that moment of grief but Jesus knew how this small story was going to play out and it was going to end not with grief but with joy so Jesus disperses the crowd he proceeds to Jairus's house with James Peter and John his core disciples and when he arrives there's loud mourning going on when someone died in that culture they would hire professional mourners but oh, I see it there but I don't see it up there Um. There we go. The higher the social status, there's a ladybug. The higher the social status, the more mourners you would be expected to have. And you would also be expected to have a certain uh, musical accompaniment, so many different instruments. And Jairus, who is a ruler of the synagogues, we're told multiple times, he would have had a substantial crew of mourners. And we shouldn't be surprised that they were already doing their mourning thing almost immediately after the child seemingly died. Jairus's daughter had been at the verge of death And the mourning team would have been on call ready to go jesus tells the assembled mourners that jairus's daughter isn't dead but merely sleeping and this is met with laughter and derision but i would say that's probably not from jairus's family but by the the professional mourners jesus sends them away wisely. And he enters the house with Jairus, the girl's mother, his three disciples, and he takes the child by the hand. That too would have rendered Jesus ritually unclean. I mean, in fact, being in the house with a dead body would have done that. I love how Jesus is supremely unconcerned with the Levitical laws of uncleanness. He speaks to the girl in Aramaic. I I thought that was a pretty good depiction of the scene. I'm sorry, there's that weird colored thing. Um, Jairus obviously had money. That's why it seemed like it's an adjustable bed that his child is on. Um, he speaks her in Aramaic, Talitha Kumai. Sometimes that's translated as little maid arise. When our daughter Morgan was very sick about 16 years ago, about at that same age, 12, I found myself gravitating This passage, and particularly Talitha Kumai, which I would pray. And Morgan did recover and has grown into an amazing woman. But I can understand that family's grief in that moment. 12 years old, the child would have been about at the age when you might expect her to begin having her menstrual cycle. And the two stories kind of back to back don't seem like an accident. We have one woman who has 12 years of this problem. And then a 12 year old who seemingly would never get the chance to grow up, get married and bear children, which would have been a supreme uh, tragedy in that culture for her to not live long enough to do that. So they, they, the the two healings complement each other, but they also are similar. they're they're different in that Jesus heals the woman publicly and the child privately. But in both cases, the people being healed were social outsiders. The woman obviously in her condition being ritually unclean, but the child, a dead body was ritually unclean. Jesus tells the family not to tell anyone which seems like a challenging instruction under the circumstances. First of all, the the gospel writers tell everyone, but um, didn't everyone see Jairus fall at Jesus' feet and accompany him to the house? I I don't know what they were going to tell their neighbors. Um... The final detail we 're given is that Jesus tells the family to give her something to eat. I love that. I, I love the the practical instruction. We have the practical instruction after this sublime, incredible healing as a parent, I find myself wondering you know if this little girl 's Family ever kind of brought it up to her later about the healing. It's like, you're going to behave like that after Jesus heals you? (laughs) It must have come up in some fashion. I, I hope you find the accounts of these two healings incredibly encouraging. And and encouraging not just because we have a God who has the power to heal. But in both instances, we see Jesus acting in compassion, responding in love, to individual and imperfect expressions of faith. They both had faith Jairus and this woman, but they were imperfect. Our faith, I dare say, is imperfect. I know mine is. Jesus heals the physical body, but also knows that true healing has to be spiritual and social. The woman and this little girl are restored to their communities. And the most Jesus asks is that Jairus' family not publicize it. There's no catch. We don't hear Jesus saying, I was happy to heal her, but here's what I need you to do for me if it's not too much trouble. The healings are not transactional. God's love for us, each of us is not transactional. But I will say there is a big exception to that because Jesus paid our debt on the cross. That was the one and only transaction needed. Christians should and hopefully often do respond to God's love with love for God and for neighbor, but it's a response to grace that we've received, not because we think we owe that much to God or that he expects it. One uh, commentary I read said that in chapter five, Mark was trying to show us a typical day in the life of Jesus. I I don't know if that was Mark's intent Um, I mean at the end of the day when Jesus was back with his the disciples who had not accompanied him that day and they asked him you know what'd you do today I I don't think Jesus would have said "Eh, usual just Jesus doing Jesus stuff I think Every day that Jesus was on this earth had the potential for the extraordinary. But I also think that when we follow him, when we try earnestly to follow Jesus, our days all have the potential for the extraordinary. Would you pray with me? <sighs> Heavenly Father, even in our imperfections, even in our, the limitations of our faith, you meet us where we are. You accept us. And we're so grateful for that. And we're amazed at it because we know we're not deserving and yet you lavish us with your love. And we're grateful in Jesus' name, amen.